A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with me today. Looking forward to uh, spending some time with you. We are going to be talking a little bit about what happened in Louisville on Monday. But uh, more broadly, we're going to be talking about gun-free zones. The fact that they're not gun-free. Not generally. And certainly not when someone with murderous intent decides to uh, carry out a cowardly attack, as we saw yesterday at the old National Bank in Louisville. Before we get to today's topic, however, I want to share with you a wonderful company and a new sponsor for our program located in the center of the military universe, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. At Defender Ammunition, you will never wait weeks for ammo. Whatever you see on the website is actually in stock and ships the same day. And this is a pretty patriotic bunch. They source every component they can from U.S. companies to ensure that your dollars are going to support companies right here at home. Sure, Defender has exceptionally priced high-quality ammo, but they're also great folks who fight for the defenders of our country. Everyone employed at Defender Ammunition is either for military or military-adjacent, and that's why they give back whatever they can to support charities for our beloved service members. I actually had the chance to shoot some of their ammo this past weekend, and I can testify they are the kind of company with quality products and American values that you will want to support. The gun industry seems massive. But it gets a lot smaller when you find people with common American values. And if you want to try out some of their ammo for free, check out their brass exchange program. They encourage customers to trade in fired brass in exchange for a gift card. People love this program, as you can imagine. Visit DefenderAmmunition.com and get to know a gem of an ammo company in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Check out all of the details on the brass exchange and more. And be sure to thank them for supporting this program and go on to save some high-quality manufactured ammunition. All right, so let's talk about gun-free zones for a second. Old National Bank in Louisville was a gun-free zone. According to its company handbook, its policy on workplace violence, firearms were prohibited unless they were authorized uh, by the company itself, and um, generally speaking, the average employee was not going to be able to carry. You know, we have seen since the Bruin decision uh, was handed down last June, A number of states across the country try to enact more gun-free zones, more, quote-unquote, sensitive places where guns can be banned. Maryland lawmakers on Monday night passing SB1 and House Bill 824, um, restricting the right to carry in a number of ways, including by making a number of previously uh, uh, locations, previously allowed locations, uh, now off-limits to lawful carrying. The idea behind this, right, if you're an anti-gun activist, is, well, the fewer people carrying guns, uh, the better off we all will be. Mm, Not so much. Because as it turns out, when we see these gun-free zones, the folks who generally abide by that policy are the folks who aren't going to commit violent crimes in the first place, right? Meanwhile, those with ill intentions, they're not stopped by a sign that says you can't bring a gun here. This is playing out, as I said, in a number of states. Um, But one interesting bill that we're keeping an eye on is out in Missouri. And this would not create a new gun-free zone. It would get rid of an existing gun-free zone. Public transportation. That's right. Um, Now, I will say, (laughs) this being... uh, uh, you know, a, a bill that would impact blue cities like St. Louis, uh, you can imagine 
the uh, reaction that this legislation is getting uh, in cities like St. Louis. This from uh, KMOV, a wild, wild west free for all house bill would allow guns on Metrolink in Missouri. That's right. A wild, wild west free for all. Now, as KMOV points out, Metrolink, which is the public transportation system in St. Louis, often have unarmed security guards working to protect riders, but strictly ban any rider from bringing a gun onto a bus or a train. But they note a bill working through the Missouri House would change that, though they say some Metro riders here aren't convinced. Mike Moultrie, a Metrolink rider, says it's going to be a wild, wild west free-for-all. Yeah, we'll get back to Mr. Moultrie's comments. But first, let's point out that public transportation... um, Well, okay, let me back up for a second. The Supreme Court said in Bruin that the right to bear arms in public for the purposes of self-defense is a real right and a substantive right. Now, I would say that that means that the right to bear arms in self-defense in public would prima facie extend to public transportation. But um, gun control activists obviously see that differently. Now, as it stands, there are some public transportation systems uh, that do not ban concealed carry. Uh, The MARTA system in Atlanta, for example, uh, has no restrictions on concealed carry. Uh, DART in uh, Dallas has no restrictions on uh, concealed carry. And I wouldn't call either of those systems the wild, wild west. Would you? I mean, crime may certainly continue to take place on these systems, but people also have the opportunity to defend themselves if need be. And when it comes to this Missouri bill, uh, Susan Myers, who's the Missouri chair for the D.C. project, was one of those testifying in favor. She uh, told KMOV that she believes gun-free zones should not exist, except for a few minor exceptions. She says, cut down on those places to be a target for criminals. They'll have to stop and think about it a little harder. Yeah, well, they're not having to stop and think about it right now. Going back to the uh, comments by uh, Mike Moultrie, that uh, Metrolink writer who's afraid that uh, passage of this legislation would turn Metrolink into the wild, wild west. He says that he is, uh, quote, skeptical of allowing guns on the Metrolink. He knows it could help a law-abiding citizen, but worries that it could lead to more violence. He says, we already got gun violence. We already got violence that's happening on the Metrolink from kids 16 to 24. And so many guns, it's illegal to be on these streets. Uh, That's right. Moultrie admits Metrolink isn't all that safe right now. You have people who are illegally carrying firearms. On Metrolink, despite the policy that says you can't bring a gun onto the bus or the train, these people are doing it. A lot of them not even old enough to lawfully purchase a firearm, and yet they are still illegally carrying it. So the bill from uh, uh, Representative Adam Shetling uh, would allow those with concealed carry permits. And, and again, Missouri is a constitutional carry state, so you would still have to possess a concealed carry permit to bring a gun onto Metrolink. And as KMOV pointed out last year, there was a man who was shot and killed on a Metrolink train outside of Forest Park, Manu Barge. In a hearing last month, KMOV says, uh, Sheldon says that people are already bringing guns on transit. Those people are typically bona fide criminals. He says it's about protecting the right of you as a passenger to be able to defend yourself should you find yourself in that situation. I got to say, I, I don't disagree with that at all. In fact, KMEV reported that uh, there were some 600 incidents on Metrolink last year. 
Um, they say Metrolink incidents increased over 10% from 2021 to 2022 at 660 incidents. Now, they say half of those were initiated by police. Okay. Meaning, you know, unarmed security saw something uh, and alerted authorities and then a, uh, a, you know, an arrest was made or at least an investigation began. But in half of those incidences, roughly 330 of them, there was not a proactive response by police. Instead, an incident occurred. A crime took place. Somebody was hurt or injured or robbed or assaulted. And in many cases, the criminal got away with it. That's the reality of this gun-free zone. It's not gun-free at all. It is a target-rich environment for criminals looking to prey on the innocent. People who are just trying to get to work, trying to get home, trying to get to their loved ones. And yes, they are disarmed by law. As is, theoretically, the armed criminals who are confronting them. But again, that sign, that policy that says, don't bring a gun onto the bus, don't bring a gun onto the train, isn't doing anything to dissuade violent criminals. It is simply preventing good people from protecting themselves. I know for the gun control activists that the gun-free zone is this you know, utopian ideal, right? If they can't ban guns completely, well, by golly, they can at least have these oasis, oases of disarmed Americans so that they can walk into a grocery store or they can visit their local mall, or they can even drive down the road and not have to worry about the people around them lawfully carrying a firearm. But even if every inch of the United States were declared a gun-free zone today, that would not prevent violent criminals from carrying out their carjackings, their armed robberies, their drive-by shootings, their home invasions, and sadly, the random street crimes that we see all across this country. Gun-free zones are a fantasy. It's a fiction. The reality is criminals don't care. And if they do, their eyes are likely to light up when they see that sign that says no guns allowed. Because it means that the opportunities for unarmed victims increase exponentially. And the odds of an armed response drop dramatically. All right, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of St. Louis Park, Minnesota, one of the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul suburbs there. A, a teenager charged with a murder in a fatal uptown shooting last April has been ordered to stand trial as an adult. Now, as it turns out, one of the reasons why this uh, 16-year-old, now 17 years old, uh, will stand trial as an adult is because uh, Jaquan James Smith has managed to rack up a uh, fairly substantial criminal history at a very tender age. As the uh, Star Tribune newspaper reports, Smith, who was 16 at the time of the shooting, uh, remains in custody of the juvenile detention center. His public defender did not immediately return calls seeking comment. He is in court again today after a hearing last Friday, determined that he should be certified as an adult, a process that involves taking into account the minor's culpability in criminal history. 
for Smith. That includes an attempted carjacking in December of 2021. He pleaded guilty to attempted simple robbery and is still on juvenile probation for that offense. The latest case, Smith is charged with second-degree murder, first-degree riot resulting in death, second-degree assault, and one felony count for violating his probation for being in possession of a firearm. So, yes, young Mr. Smith, who's 17 years old now, less than two years ago, was charged with a very serious felony, attempted carjacking, was allowed to plead down to a much less serious offense, simple robbery, and was placed on probation. Apparently with little to no time behind bars whatsoever. As the Star Tribune notes, in recent weeks, the Hennepin County Attorney's Office top prosecutor, Mary Moriarty, has been criticized for her um, use of community programming and other, quote, rehabilitative interventions for teens charged with violent crimes rather than seeking punishment in the adult criminal justice system. Back in February, the paper notes Moriarty offered two teenage brothers plea deals rather than certifying them as adults in the murder of 23-year-old Zaria McKeever. Amid public backlash, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, actually, who, again, progressive, uh, progressive, regressive AG Keith Ellison as Governor Tim Walz to exercise his statutory authority to assign him the case. I mean, when you have <laughs> when you are too soft on crime for Keith Ellison, that's saying something. Uh, as the Star Tribune says, it's extremely rare for state officials to intervene with the prosecution handled by locally elected county attorneys. Again, though, this seems to be par for the course in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, where, by the way, violent crime has gone up. I mean, it skyrocketed in 2020, obviously, with the uh, George Floyd riots. There's never really, it hasn't gotten substantially better since. Uh, violent crime has declined a little bit, but it is still well above like the levels that we saw in 2019. And I think one of the problems here is you've seen this rise in juvenile crime, not only in Minneapolis-St. Paul, but all across the country. A lot of jurisdictions are struggling with this. And unfortunately, the juvenile justice system, which ostensibly is designed for rehabilitation, doesn't seem to be working to rehabilitate the youthful offenders, doesn't seem to be working to incarcerate them either. Instead, what we see is this rinse and repeat cycle of serious charges, plea deal, slap on the wrist, go back to the street, don't let me see you again. Oh, you're here again. Hey, I thought I told you not to come here again. Well, listen, if you come here a third time, then I'm going to have to really get serious with you. This isn't working. By the way, more gun control laws? Not going to do a damn thing to help either. But in Minnesota, lawmakers are much more interested in cracking down on legal gun owners than they are in actually dealing with repeat juvenile offenders. Today's Armed Citizen story, Phoenix, Arizona. Don't have a lot of information about this one. Uh, hoping to get some more details, but a Phoenix home invasion suspect was shot and killed by a homeowner over the weekend, according to police. Uh, again, we've just seen some initial reports here and, and no follow-ups to date, but this was Sunday night. Officers responded to a home near 7th and Portland Streets. It was originally called in as a residential burglary around 630 uh, on April the 9th. But when they arrived, they found a man who had been shot. Uh, that suspect passed away at the scene. Police say the homeowner uh, stayed at the scene to speak with detectives. Uh, no other information has been released, but at this point, it does appear like this was a, a case of self-defense, a guy who was not supposed to be in that home trying to get in, and the homeowner who had every right to be inside defended himself and his property from the uh, would-be home invader. But as I said, we will keep our eyes open for any more details and bring them to you as they become available. 
Finally today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a mother and daughter uh, who helped to save a Florida man from drowning the other day. This was in uh, Winter Haven, Florida. And the Winter Haven police say a 33-year-old man is alive today thanks to the uh, quick actions of that mother and daughter pair. Happened around 4 o'clock Friday afternoon at the uh, Carlton Arms apartment complex in the uh, swimming pool there. Police say that uh, Crystal Horrocks and her daughter Kathleen were enjoying a swim when Kathleen noticed uh, there was a guy who was looked like he was kind of struggling in the deep end of the pool. And then he stopped struggling and he sank down to the bottom. That is when uh, Kathleen, nine years old, called out to her mom. Crystal then jumped in the water, dove underneath, brought the man to the surface, lifted him out of the pool. Other neighbors had seen what was going on at this point. They were able to help get him out of the pool. Um, Crystal then performed two rounds of CPR on the man before he coughed up water and started to breathe on his own. By by the time first responders got there, he was actually sitting up and uh, breathing without any assistance, taken to a local hospital as a precaution, but was released a short time later with no issues. Winter Haven Public Safety Director Charlie Bird said uh, the swift actions, first by this very alert young lady, followed by the quick response of her mother, saved this man's life. Uh, And uh, the department uh, said, you know, listen, now's a great time to learn CPR. For those of you who uh, don't know how to already, uh, reminding them to uh, check with the local Red Cross or uh, the Citizen CPR to find a class near you. That's good advice for everybody, by the way, Uh, not just for those of us who have uh, been in a situation like a Crystal Horrock where you've needed to come to the aid of somebody, but uh, you never know when that information is going to come in handy. But in the right place, at the right time, willing and ready to do the right thing, Kathleen Horrock and her mom, Crystal, we thank you for your very good deed. All right, that is about all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, but I will encourage you to check out bearingarms.com throughout the day. We've got a lot of stuff going on all around the country, obviously. Uh, we are continuing to follow the uh, aftermath of Monday shootings in Louisville. Uh, Joe Biden, once again, calling for a gun ban. Democrats intent on trying to ban our way to safety, um, even though, again, we know that that's the wrong road to take. But we'll be talking about uh, uh, that at BarryandArms.com, as well as the legislative updates. The Louisiana session uh, just got underway on Monday. And constitutional carry looks like it could be one of the top priorities for Louisiana lawmakers this year. They now have a supermajority, Republicans do, in both chambers of the legislature. And that should be good news for uh, constitutional carry legislation. And we're also keeping our eyes on what's going on in Illinois. Uh, Tomorrow, there is a big, big, big court hearing in East St. Louis Federal Courthouse where uh, multiple challenges to Illinois' ban on so-called assault weapons and large-capacity magazines will be heard. You know, we've got the sort of dual track going on here where you've got uh, federal court cases, you've got county court cases. The Illinois State Supreme Court has agreed to hear those uh, county-level cases next month. Uh, but a, a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction has been granted against uh, several thousand Illinois residents who have filed suit at the county level. Um, now we're hoping that a, a federal judge, Stephen McGlynn, will do the same statewide and uh, halt enforcement of the state's ban on modern sporting rifles. 
uh, as well as, quote-unquote, large-capacity magazines, the most commonly owned magazines in the state of Illinois. So, again, that hearing is coming up tomorrow, oral arguments, but uh, we'll be giving you a preview at Bearing Arms as well. If you like what you see in terms of our coverage, I would always encourage you to uh, sign up as a VIP member. All you have to do, go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. And you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, and analysis you won't find anywhere else. Because your support does make a difference, and it really does matter. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. (laughs) 